You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Well, when I was, uh, I was young, and I remember one day in school, we um, picked teams for a game of dodgeball. Now, I just said two things that I don't know if you're allowed to do anymore. One of them is play dodgeball which we used to love to do. Some of you remember growing up, we would do that. Our kids are somewhat deprived of that, I'm afraid. I always thought it was a survival of the fittest type thing, you know? But you would get a, you, like you would walk in, you'd have a bruise or something, and they even make the balls now that you can't possibly, can't possibly get hurt with, and they still don't play it. I don't understand. But the bigger thing is, and some schools do this, but some of them don't, is picking teams, you're a captain, you're a captain, and then you start to go through, and I go, I want him, and I want her, and I want him, and you start picking. And the reason some schools don't do it anymore, they do it differently, is because nobody wants to get picked last. And I remember one time when I was little, and we are about to play dodgeball, and we're picking teams, and I'm doing the math and going, okay, I'm going to have the last person, I think, and uh, oh, I already know who it's going to be, so... I'll be nice to him and go, oh, yeah, you're on my team. No, I shouldn't do that because that sounds, that sounds like patronizing. But uh, I mean, I was like third grade. I'm sure I didn't know the word patronizing, but it didn't feel right to me. And so I remember just, just doing some math and then I got down to the very end. And then I started doing more math and going, oh, no, this is even worse because there's an odd number of kids, which means I'm going to look at two and I'm going to have to pick not only one of them dead last, but the other one is like, well... Sorry, <laughs> like you don't even make the squad. Like at an elementary dodgeball game, you don't get to play. And so, um, and so we got to the very end. I started realizing it and I was like, I'll take, I'll, I'll take him. And then the other little boy was there. And I remember like, oh my gosh. And so I, I went up and I was like, hey, if you, no, but we want you to play. If you want to play, you know, you can play on his team because he'd have the next pick. And so you can go over there. And then I realized what was happening is um, like, it's, it's an advantage to have an extra person in the game of dodgeball. And I just said, it's totally fine if you're on that team. Because it's, like it's, it's like they don't even have an advantage. It's just you. So feel free to go over there and play with them. Oh, man, all that was way too much for this little boy to bear back in the day. But we did, and I think he just got tagged in like 30 seconds into the game or something, and he was out, but that was okay. He played. I have no idea who who won or anything like that. But I remember getting to that last thing of having to pick. And I remember, I do remember like, um, like looking and my heart just sort of like, oh, like I, feel I feel bad for them because you're getting down to the very end and you're not saying it, but you are saying it. You're saying you're not very good. I don't want you on my team. You don't really have anything to offer in this game of dodgeball, oh, I'm stuck with you. Yay, come be on my team. It's almost like I'm stuck with you and you don't really have anything to offer. The sad thing is, I see a lot of Christians living their Christian life feeling the same way. Like God was picking his team and he went, oh, I need some more and I'll take Jim. I've got some really good Christians, some really great people, and then I, I should probably just take Jim not to hurt his feelings. Oh, yeah, okay, well, I guess I'm, I guess I'm sort of on the team, but I don't really have anything to offer. I'm not really that, that great. I see how God can use others, but can he use me? What we're talking about this whole Advent is this idea of 
joy. And I want to just obliterate that line of thinking from you, if that's you at all today. We're talking about joy. And last week we talked about joy that transcends circumstances. And I said, if you, if you want joy that is going to transcend circumstances, then it can't be based on the circumstances. It's got to be based in something about God and who he is and what he's done. So last week, we looked at good old Zephaniah chapter 3, if you were here, you remember, and it was, um, that it was the God who rejoices, that God rejoices over us, not because of how great we are, not because of how smart we are, not because of our morality, but simply because we are in the royal family and we're a child of the king. And so he can look and have joy over us, and that should increase our joy that we have towards him. This week, I want to show you about the God who sends. God is a missionary God. I want to convince you of this. I want to show you this. And I don't want you to feel like the kid on the dodgeball team that goes, well, let's get the straggler to come along as well. But he has called each of us to participate in his mission. And that should bring you joy. All right, let me show you this. God is a God who sends, and we probably know, like if you go to the book of Acts, you probably know Paul, you know the missionaries, you know that they went out, they planted churches. Even if you don't know much about the New Testament, there's letters that are written to churches and to pastors of the churches um, because this, this missionary type movement started happening because God sent people. Jesus got his 12 and he sent them out and then they would commission others and then they would send them out and the gospel just started going and going and going. But did you know that this is not just something that God in the New Testament went, hey, this would be a good idea. I should become a sending God, a missionary God. He has been sending. He is a missionary God from all the way back in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 12, you have Abraham sent to go and become a great nation. It's where we see this word um, shalak in the Hebrew, which shows up a bunch of times, but over 200 times in the Old Testament, this word shalak, send, shows up with God as its subject, meaning God is doing the sending. 200 times in the Old Testament. You've got Abraham, you've got the Israelites in captivity, so God sends Moses to go to set them free. Um, you've got the new leader. Once Moses was gone, he sent them Joshua. He sent the, the Israelites into the promised land. He sent them judges to rule over them. He even at times, you can see, he sent to get their attention, he sent Israel's enemies to punish them, to pull them back to him. Then he would send all sorts of things. All, prophets would go and communicate his will to Israel. In fact, one of the most famous ones is in Isaiah chapter 6. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim, these angels. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I, Isaiah, said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. We know Isaiah as the prophet. This is where he's getting his call, and he sees the glory of God, and he goes, Who am I to be sent by him to go and bring any kind of message? He says, Woe to me. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal he'd taken with tongs from the altar. 
And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This is a picture of God offering forgiveness to Isaiah. Listen to the turnaround. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? All right, now Isaiah had just said, woe to me, woe to me, woe to me. I'm, I'm a sinner, I'm a person of unclean lips. And God says, you're forgiven. And then he says, who can I send? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. In the very next verse, God says, and he said, go and say this to the people, that God sent him on mission immediately. At the end of the Old Testament, you know that it ends with the book of Malachi, and it means my messenger. In fact, some people just think it's, it's a, like a pseudonym. I think it's actually Malachi, but um, it means my messenger, that he is sent with a message for God's people. A lot of the Old Testament, all those names uh, there near the end, Micah, Nahum, all them, they're, they're, they're prophets from God that go and bring a message from God. They're on mission for God, speaking to the people. Then you get to the opening of the New Testament. You got angels sent from God to communicate to Zechariah, to Mary. He sent John the Baptist as a forerunner before Christ. The angels go, Angelos is messenger. They're bringing a message, speaking for God to the shepherds in the field. And you see it over and over and over throughout the whole Bible and especially the New Testament. In fact, in John's gospel alone, the word sent shows up 60 times. 60 times in just one gospel. In fact, there's one right after um, Jesus is resurrected and he says to the disciples in John 20, 21, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Think about what he's saying for just a moment. Before we come to 2021, just think what, think what he's saying. He's talking to these guys and he says, as God has sent me, and you go, oh, wow, yeah, that's a huge deal. He goes, I'm sending you. I have come to bring this message and now I'm about to leave and it's your job to carry it on. It is the church's job to share this. It's your job to share this message. Which message? It's his message of the gospel of God redeeming sinful, broken humanity through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And he says, pass it on. He says, my big plan is you guys. How about that? How'd you like to be in that group? Um, one author says this, the Bible not only provides the big picture of God's redemptive mission, it also highlights the missionary nature of God throughout the entire story. We consider the attributes of God. We most often think of characteristics like holiness, sovereignty, wisdom, justice, love. Rarely do we think of God's missionary nature. In a book called Discovering the Mission of God, the author says, the whole Bible renders us to the story of God's mission through God's people and their engagement with God's world for the sake of God's purpose for the whole of God's creation. Mission is not just a list of things, excuse me, one of a list of things the Bible happens to talk about only a bit more urgently than some. Mission is, in that much abused phrase, what it's all about. In other words, let me just be as clear as I can. There are not two types of Christians that there's some Christians that live their life on mission and some Christians who don't. As Christians, we are to live our life on mission from God. How much better is that? I mean, think about that, that he has given us meaning. He has given us purpose. We are his angelos, his messengers today. Me, 
That's remarkable. That's what he's called us to do. When he tells his followers after him, go and share, it's not meant to just terminate with them. It's meant to ripple down through the ages with us as well. Now, um, one of the problems in churches today is, um, and we can fall into this if we're not careful. Well, mission is, we have a missions team, and that's a deacon team, and so we have some staff, we have some volunteers, and so we've got our different team over here, and they do the mission part, and all this stuff is separate from mission. It's a good Western thing. You can segment everything to help make sense of it, and God is saying it's not supposed to just be this little segment over here. This is, the, this is normative for the Christian life. But what happens today is we often see churches as a, um, a vendor of religious goods and services. Your customers, we try and produce religious goods to try and help you in your faith somehow. The, the idea is we come to church so I can personally grow in knowledge, so I can personally worship, so I can, I can personally, individually have something happen to me, for me, that I can worship God. And really, the better way of understanding church, when we start seeing that God is a missionary God, this is where we come to be instructed. This is where we come to worship. This is where we find the fuel then to go out in the world and tell the world the greatest news it could ever possibly know. Amen. That's what church is about. We gather and we scatter. We gather, we scatter, we gather, we scatter. This is we come worshiping God and we leave worshiping God on mission. There's an author whose name I can't pronounce, but he wrote a book, Foolishness to the Greeks. And here's what he says. It says, um, the church is the bearer to all the nations of a gospel that announces the kingdom, the reign, and the sovereignty of God. It is not meant to call men and women out of the world into a safe religious enclave, but to call them out in order to send them back into the world as agents of God's kingship. We are to live our life on mission. And I want to just take a few minutes and highlight that from a pretty popular text that is often called the Great Commission. This was the first text that I ever preached when I was here, when you all voted on me, I came in and I was like, oh, the Great Commission. And so I figured that's a safe one. So I did the Great Commission. So I'm sure you all remember it perfectly, but let's pretend you don't for just a moment. Uh, one of the things that I did mention, and I'll mention again today, is when you hear Great Commission, you go, oh, the Great Commission. Oh, for all those really great Christians, this is what they are commissioned, that God is going on mission with them to do. And so I think it's better understood to say this is the everyday commission. This is for the everyday person. This is uh, every day what we're to be doing. And it's in Matthew chapter 28, and it says this. So Jesus has died and rose, and now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, Judas was gone, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now we can be pretty high and mighty and go, how dare they? If I had seen Jesus, that he had died, and then that he had rose, there is no possible way that I ever would have doubted. But let's give him a break for just a moment. Imagine being there, this guy who everything in you says he's supposed to overthrow Rome. He's supposed to completely change the entire world that we're living in, and it should be visible to me. It should absolutely change everything about um, who, the people I interact with, like all my life, my circumstances, all those should change immediately. And then he dies, and you go, well, okay. And then three days later, they go, I'm up on the mountain, and then Jesus walks up and goes, hey, I'm here. I mean, come on. Like, what, I almost feel like it should say, 
pretty much all of them doubted. Or, or most, of them, most of them wondered. Most of them just wanted a little bit more of a sign. More of them just wanted some kind of confirmation. Many of them probably still had questions at this point, I think is what they're trying, he's trying to say. Can this be a barrier today about being on mission for God? I don't have all my questions answered. What if I go to share the gospel and they ask me about dinosaurs? What if they ask me to define the Trinity? I have shared the gospel with a lot of people. I have never been asked to define the Trinity. What if they really ask a question about some, some pain that they've walked through? And how can a good, loving God let that happen? What if I don't, what if I don't know how to say it? What if I say it and I make it worse? It's encouraging to know that they had some questions. And what does Jesus do? He tells them, go and make disciples. But here's what he says first in verse 18. It says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He is authoritative to tell them what to do with their life. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus Christ. Now, listen, the things that pull our attention and pull us away from this are things that we are implicitly giving authority in our lives. If I go, I just don't have any bandwidth for, for, to live my life on mission because I've got three kids. I've got a high schooler, two middle schoolers. Do you know what their schedules are? What am I doing? I'm implicitly um, giving authority to my kids and their schedules to dictate how I live my life. I, gotta, I just got to work 90 hours a week. I mean, it's just kind of the way it is. Just, just acknowledge something. Just acknowledge that if that keeps you from the mission of God, Jesus who says, I have all authority, you are giving somebody else besides Christ authority. It might be, I've got to meet a need in me because I need to succeed. I need to show how great I am. It might be, no, no, this is really where we are. We need, we need food on the table. We need whatever it is. But whatever we say, this is going to trump the mission of God in my life. We're giving it authority to do that. And Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And here's what he says to do. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, just hang on just a minute. Be up on a mountain in Israel. And here comes Jesus, and you're still going, whoa, he's really alive, I think. He is. Some of you don't think he is. I think, you think he is? I don't know. And Jesus says, go and make disciples. And he says, of all nations. So he can't just go, uh, Peter, you need to go start a blog and you need to just put stuff out about Jesus because Peter would have to go invent the internet and computers and electricity like before he could do any of that. You guys go hop on a plane and go head out to another nation to go and share the gospel. We don't have planes. I'll just get in the car. We don't have cars yet. You see what he's saying? He's saying go to all nations and picture how daunting that would feel to go, how does it work then? And the word he says, go and make disciples, it's really, it's going. It's, it's as you are going. As you're going, make disciples. As you're raising your kids, make disciples. As you're working with your client, make disciples. As you're trying this case before a judge, make disciples. As you're going to the grocery store, make disciples. As you are showing clients a new house that they might buy, make disciples. As you're going to Fellowship Hall, Make disciples. Students, as you're coming to youth group, make 
disciples. As your professor at the university, make disciples. As you're going to play on your basketball team, make disciples. As you're meeting with people in your office, make disciples. As you're spending your money, make disciples. It's easy to like turn it on and off. I've, I've told you before, I, I, when I was a youth pastor, we would do mission trips and I would watch some students that get it and then some that had some growing to do in this area that they would go and they would just so selflessly serve the people we're serving and then get back on the van or wherever we were going and be so selfish and rude to the people around them. And it was, now I'm in, I'm in helping mode, I'm in making disciple mode, but now I'm back in me mode. And what he's saying is, as you are going, make disciples. I'm being a little nostalgic, but when I was here, I was here for, I've been here six years now, I've probably six months in, nine months in, something like that. Um, we, uh, <clears throat> we did a little event and called it something real creative, like what's next or something, because people were wondering like, okay, you know, I didn't really know you yet, like what's this guy thinking? And um, it was horribly disappointing because I basically just said, we're going to keep doing a lot of what Rockland's been doing for decades, which is share the gospel. We're going to um, stand under the authority of the word of God. And we just talked through a bunch of things. And um, one of the things that I mentioned at that, at that meeting that's just been on my heart lately is um, our address is 17 South Mount Vernon Country Club Road, Golden, Colorado, 80401. God has planted us here to be a mission outpost for this community where we are. Your house is not just the place you retreat. It is a mission outpost for the community. Fill in your address, whatever it is, and God has called you and put you there to make disciples of those people around you. And what does he say in verse, uh, in verse 19? He says, uh, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. This is different from just go be around people and just sort of be nice to them. Just go and be moral to them, uh, around them. This, and, and all it is is planting seeds, and, and all it is is maybe if they just see my life, they'll see it's different, and somebody else is going to tell them. That might happen some, but this is a call to say, go and share. Go and tell them why you're the way that you are. And I love in verse, uh, in verse 20, teaching them to observe, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Oh, but I'm so unqualified to do this. Remember Isaiah? <laughs> I'm totally unqualified. Especially when I have a proper view of God, I feel totally unqualified. You're forgiven. Go tell people. And he goes, here I am, send me. That's what he tells these mostly fishermen, like up, usually uneducated, on this little mountain in the middle of nowhere without the technology and the electricity and the internet and the cars and the planes and all that to go and do it in a way we would think would be efficient. He says, as you're going, make disciples. You're qualified if you are a Christian. Not saying there's, you know, don't grow at all or anything like that. I'm saying you're qualified. If you have questions, if you have some things, I don't know how to, what, what do I do if somebody, you know, asks about this horrible thing that happened to them and how is God good and loving? Well, get the answers. Talk, talk to people and figure that out and maybe have an answer, but don't let that hinder you from being on mission with God. And how does this increase our joy? Isn't it beautiful to know that we're not the last kid that God just goes, all right, well, you can sit over here with the B team Christians over in this area. The, we're all going on mission, but not really you. 
I'm going to take the smart people and I'm going to take them on mission. I'm going to take the charismatic people and we're going to go on mission. I'm going to take the outgoing, those kind of, we're going to go on mission and you can just sit over here. He says, go and make disciples. I don't know if it seems like he's absent at times, which is what he tells them he's going, but he is present with us. And he wants you to go and be the carrier of the greatest message in the world. This is not the dodgeball kid and God just looking and going, we technically have a spot if you want to jump on. This is him going, come on. We are about being on mission as individuals and we do this locally, we do this internationally. And so um, one of the privileges we have right now is I want to introduce a couple people to you. One of them, at least, you'll know. And um, uh, we as Rockland are supporting them as they go and they take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so I want you to hear from them, and then we'll have time here in just a moment. If you're comfortable and you'd like to come up and put hands on them, we're going to pray over them, and we're going to commission them, and we're going to send them. And one of them has the loveliest singing voice that I hear. I love it. And so um, Lizzie and Joseph, come on up here. Let's welcome them up here, guys. Can we do that? Come on up. There you go. So come on up. You can stand right there by her. There you go. I have to say, when you were singing the opening thing, um, husband Joseph here looked over and goes, I got goosebumps. That's a good husband right there. Very good. Um, So I'm so excited to do this with you guys. I've been looking forward to this for a while. A while back, Lizzie mentioned to me, because we've known each other for a while, she's mentioned that they had this heart to go to Amsterdam and to go and serve over there. They'd gone on a mission trip. I'll let them tell some of the story. And I jumped on Um, Zoom to chat with her. She knows this already. And I was kind of like, that's nice. I like Lizzie. I'll just kind of hear from Lizzie. And my heart just started pounding. And I thought, oh my gosh, is this something to be a part of? And then we, I met with the outreach team and they were like, oh my gosh, my heart's pounding. I was like, okay, we got to do something here. And so they're here today. And so if if y'all can just share a little bit about um, where you're going to serve and what you're doing, let's just start there. How about Yeah, so we will be in a little town in the Netherlands. It's called Maastricht. Um, It's in the south of the country to start a college ministry with an organization called CMF. It's Christian Missionary Fellowship. Um, And then a subset of that organization, Global Scope. So doing really um, relational ministry, going out, meeting students that wouldn't normally set foot in a church. Um, Yeah, building relationships just like Jesus did with the disciples and saying, just come on, follow me. Let's live together. Come along and let's see what happens. Can you share a little bit? Because you shared this with me. We didn't prep a whole lot because I've talked to them a hundred times and these are easy ones. But tell us about just Amsterdam and the the Christian or lack thereof culture there. So where we'll be going in the Netherlands um, is a city of 140,000. It's home to one of the fastest growing universities in the world, Maastricht University. It has 20,000 students. Um, It is 55% international. Um, One of the statistics that I think really caught us is over 85% of people or students from the ages of 18 to 35 have never stepped foot in a church. Um, It's kind of an archaic view or because of the after effects of World War II and everything else, they've just kind of given up on faith. And so what we want to do is we want to create a community 
um, where everyone can find a place to belong and is seen, known, loved, and transformed by the amazing love of Jesus. Um, and as we were there for a week, we went in 2019 right after Easter, and we got to run into students that had a lot of questions, some of those questions that you were asking. And I think they are hungry to know and to have hope. And so that's what we want to go uh, and do with our team and see that. And it was interesting that we got an Instagram message probably about uh, six months ago from a girl named Nina saying, I saw what you're about to go do. And I have been praying for a Christian community for two years. I came to faith a few years ago and I have no idea what to do. And so that's Mm -hmm. what we get to do. We get to partner with college students. We get to partner with local churches and get them connected and to send them wherever they're going, whether it's Lebanon or Portugal or Germany or all these places that they're coming from. And when you meet with people, um, you had talked about the differences where sometimes in America there's hostility towards Christianity, but can you talk about when you bring it up there, the general response you get? Yeah. Yeah, so this is uh, when we first took our vision trip to see if this is something that we'd want to do, if Global Scope would want to launch, um, if it would be necessary... Uh, one of my favorite encounters was sitting at the interfaith chaplaincy. They had a weekly dinner that was like three euro, which is super cheap for students to come and eat. And I ended up having an hour and a half conversation with a grad student from Lebanon. And uh, we kind of stuck out. So he was like, what are you doing here? Who are you? What's happening? And we're like, well, we'd, we're seeing if we'd want to come and start a Christian college community here. And just immediately he was like, oh, what do you believe? so much openness to, at least on a philosophical and ideological level, to see like, what do you think? What can I learn from you? It doesn't mean that there's necessarily that automatic openness to, I want this to change my life. But here it seems like there's so many walls immediately. It's like, what are the things you don't talk about at holidays? It's politics and religion, right? (laughs) Like most of the time. But there, there just seems like this really, really um, a sense of anticipation. It felt like buzzy when Mm -hmm. we were there of God's doing something or about to be doing something here um, with the openness in these students' hearts, um, in their minds, in their intrigue for how the world works and how they can um, live life purposefully. And I think, yeah, Jesus offers all of that Mm -hmm. in a way that nothing else can. And the, the plan, just the last thing here, the plan is still, they've got to start a nonprofit in Amsterdam. If anyone has any experience starting nonprofits in Amsterdam, maybe you can chat with them. But um, that's one of the, I say barriers, I guess that's in process now. I don't know where it is, but January-ish is the hopeful time frame still? We're hoping. Okay. We're working with lawyers and governments, which are very efficient and communicative entities. <laughs> I'm going to guess that's sarcasm. So it's a little up in the air, but we're hoping hoping and praying for January. Well, I got to tell you, it really is a joy. It's a real joy to get to send you to do that, to support you. And then after the service... um, they can, in Fellowship Hall, there's, if they want to get emails and things like that so they can be praying and any other kind of support you want to give. Um, but we want to take a moment now and support you. Father, thank you that you are a God who sends. That you uh, have done that consistently. It's part of your character and nature and it's part of who you are. Thank you that we get to participate in that, Heavenly Father. We participate in different ways. I do, I lift up people here at Rockland who will go and be that missionary outpost on their street, at their jobs, in their families. And right now we lift up Joseph and Lizzie to you.
God, we pray that you go before them as they head to Maastricht. We pray any other details that come up, starting a nonprofit and all the logistical stuff, that that would just go quickly and easily so they can spend time praying together, united together. Would you make their way um, to the Netherlands? Would you make it um, clear that you are going before them and that you're going with them? And God, when they arrive, I pray that more people than they can even realize all of a sudden just start coming out of the woodwork and just start connecting with them. And Father, we pray in advance for the disciples that they will make We pray that people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, perhaps for the first time. God, we pray that they not only come to faith, but that they would grow and that they would have this message of what you have done and what you do for people. And may they be bursting to share it with others. We pray that this ministry of the Hoffmans would be multiplied hundredfold. And may it ripple throughout Amsterdam, and then all those international students that come when they go back to their countries. We pray that you have moved in them so deeply that they become missionaries where they are. Father, what a privilege it is to get to pray over this couple here today. We love them. Uh, We affirm them. We support them. And God, we send them. Thank you for this time today and thank you for this, uh, for this couple in particular. We pray this in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, God is ascending God and why are we talking about this about Advent, around Advent time is God sent his son. God so loved the world that he gave or that he sent his own son Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Christmas was that, in a sense, a new beginning, but it ended up with the cross and the empty tomb. So that's what we come forward to celebrate today, that Christ, while he was with his disciples, took bread and broke it, and he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. And he took the cup and he poured it out, and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. Let's take communion together. Thank you.